Remember when your friends told you about Envy on the Coast? How about Never Shout Never? Check. Check one, two. Alright, here goes nothing. If timing's everything, stop telling me you're taking your time. I know you're anxious, but you're running your mouth like you're five years old again. Or there for tomorrow. Your initial reply hit me undercover when I lost my head to it was out of its time, it was undiscovered as I caught my breath again. You were running out of These artists and more started off as unsigned bands, spotlighted in our monthly APNR section. Do you want to be the first to know about the newest, coolest bands before they're signed? Then check out the brand new APNR podcast. Hosted by web editor Tim Karen, the APNR podcast features over 45 minutes of music from unsigned bands all over the world as well as plenty of insight as to what they're all about. Download an episode now at altpress.com slash podcast or subscribe through iTunes so you can start telling your friends about the next big thing before they beat you to it. Remember when times were better, when times were better than this. We never had to remember when times were better, when times were better than this. Did you intimidate us? Mother says you wouldn't let her use the phone. Were you intoxicated? Past the point of knowing what was going on. Better yet, don't forget, leave the keys on the TV set. Hoping you're gone from the corner bar. There are always a few bands that everyone's heard of, but not a lot of today's music fans know a lot about. New Brunswick, New Jersey's 20-year-old punk rock idols, The Bouncing Souls, are just one of those bands. Now, you've probably seen them on Warp Tour or listed in your local alt-weekly as playing a local club time and time again. But you probably don't know why they're important to the community or why they're so beloved, usually by people that hate all the new bands that you're into. We just wanted to be around, quote-unquote, says guitarist Pete Steinkoff, and after about eight full lengths and five EPs, numerous singles and the videos for those singles, some compilations and a couple of DVDs, it's pretty obvious that not only has the band accomplished that original goal, but they've become the unfortunate envy of too many broken bands of how they shoulda, coulda done it themselves in the first place. Founded in Basking Ridge, New Jersey in 1989, right after most of the guys graduated high school, they rehearsed for a while in the attic of vocalist Greg Gattonito's dad's house. The Souls then relocated to New Brunswick, where the punk scene was supposed to be, but had already fizzled out on them. They then set about to reigniting the whole thing with their home base being their punk rock house at 54 Welton Street. Consisting of Antonito on vocals, Steinkopf on guitar, Brian Keelan on bass, and Shao Kichi on drums, the band formed their own label, Chunk Sa, in 1994. They did that in order to pop out their first full-length record, the now infamous The Good, The Bad, and The Argyle, which was a compilation of four EPs and a couple cover songs that they had previously released the three years prior. After releasing the follow-up 1996's Maniacal Laughter, the band struggled in deciding whether or not to sign to then-emerging powerhouse Epitaph Records, uh, the days when one's punk rock credibility was such a difficult thing to deal with. 
It was better that they did throw those concerns to the wind and go for it, as the next decade's worth of material would end up only securing them a spot in that punk rock hall of fame, where you always have a fan base and you always have credibility, regardless if it was a 40-year-old scene lifer who hates the new bands of today or the 18-year-old hot topic bread music stealer who's just now starting to explore those deeper cuts on that iTunes punk rock playlist section. There was a difficult lineup change when drummer Sal Kitchy was asked to leave at the turn of the century, and he was ultimately replaced by Michael McDermott, who dived in from the lore of Murphy's Law and Skinner Box, amongst others. Throw on top of that new struggles with drug abuse and personal differences, and the band almost broke up while on an Australian tour around that time. The band ultimately cleaned themselves up, tightened their onstage performance, and set about re-establishing themselves as survivors of an ever-changing music scene and music business. Last year, the band left Homestead Epitaph and returned back to the way they started off in the first place, DIY, releasing all of their new material on their old label, Chunk Saw. This year, they've embraced the culture of change and are releasing a new digital-only single on the first of every month, along with four 7-inch singles to be released every three months. At the end of the year, the Bouncing Souls will then release a full-length record consisting of all of the singles, calling the entire project the 20th Anniversary Series. But yes, these guys have been around 20 years. Now, there's a very, very thorough oral history of the Bouncing Souls in the latest issue of AP, um, the one with Blink-182 on the cover, number 252, July 2009, if you're the collector. And I feel confident that after listening to this interview and reading that oral history, you'll be officially able to walk around the scene knowing what you need to know about one of the most credible and likable punk bands out there. Now, go get learning. This is Mike Shea. But you guys are one of the very few bands that are out there that I've never heard anything negative about. I swear wow, to God. Wow. Being on Warped Tour, fans, uh, emails, MySpace messages, message boards, stuff like that. I don't know anybody that does not like you guys. Um, ex-girlfriends. Ex yeah, you're talking well, to the wrong people. <laughs> you know, if you didn't say that, you would have been fine. <laughs> now it's all downhill. Um, so, uh, you know, you guys are. You are, a, you are now a legacy band. You guys are celebrating your 20th anniversary this year. And uh, you, you're doing the new business model, which was actually your original business model when you started out by doing it on your own. And, uh, you know, there's a... Uh, but before I get into any of that, um, I do need to bring this up. Every year I try and get Jason, um, my editor, to do a contest and talk about the funniest punk band names ever. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I realized when I was doing research on this... Um, Brad Karma and the Absent-Minded Fruit Bats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That yeah. is one of the best ones ever. Not and, bad, not bad at all. Um, so uh, yeah. just can I get the backstory on that one? Because that was actually, that wasn't the cover band. No, no that was like that was the Switch. The, cover band. the first originals yeah. band. Yeah. It was. Yeah. yeah. It was um, Brad Bishaw was a couple years ahead of us in our high school. And he was, you know, in bands and did shows as we were like getting into music. So he was like the couple, couple grades older than us, like cool kids that were like doing bands before we were. Okay. And then when we finished high school, 
he was still in town and like all started a band with him and he was kind of like the leader and decided to call it Brad Karma. <laughs> Brad and, Karma. And yeah. we were the absent-minded fruit bag. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, so, did you guys ever get any merch out of that, by the way? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I, was, really? um, I have a T-shirt that I found, actually. Um, yeah. Last week, I was going through a bunch of old bags of clothes with the Brad Karma shirt. I'm like, this my, shirt's my fucking awesome. My first shirt design, man. <laughs> That's right. It's a circle. It's all like, like I did that. All uh, crazy. Did that shit in in, um, in high school. Of course, we took advantage of um, the art room, and we uh, they had um, silk screening ink, squeegees, all the stuff to you know learn silk screening. So I made did up a design for the Brad Karma and the Absent Minded Fruit Bats T-shirt, and ran off a shit ton of shirts. You know. <laughs> Stole, uh, stealing, uh, stealing shirts. It's a whole, did, did, did a anybody, whole free thing. Going did anybody uh, do any uh, tape cassette recordings of any of those shows you guys did at that? <sighs> there's a video somewhere of like. Uh, there's photos of like in the jam room us, and I think there's a battle of the bands video where we did. I think we did like two shows. One was a battle of the bands, and we got like yeah, came like second place from to a, like a Rush <laughs> cover band. Whoa! Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, it's hey. not like we were great or something. Well, you know that you guys are thinking about doing a box set, so there you go. Yeah, you know, right. Box set. <laughs> yeah. Brad Karma played a, tr- a broken trombone, didn't know how to play it, but that was in one of the songs. Didn't matter. <laughs> yeah, we weren't a technical band, that's for sure. That's yeah. why the Rush band won. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we had a lot of heart, though. All, you know, all heart, always. You know what? I just realized the listeners are going to uh, kick me again. Um, for the sake of the uh, audible identification. Um, why don't we just go uh, right down the line and just introduce yourself and what you play so people can recognize your voice as you speak. Um, I'm Pete. I play guitar. Greg, I sing. Brian, I play bass. And I'm Michael, and I play drums. So, um, now, Michael, you came in a little bit later on in the band. Um, yep. Yep. And 2000. Did you, 2000. Did you, were you originally from the New York area? Yeah, yeah. From yeah. around, yeah. I mean, I'm from Philly. Okay. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, like everybody else, you know. We grew up going to the same yeah, yeah. shows. City and Gardens. And oh, all right. Mm-hmm. So that's how you guys. All right. Okay. Yeah, we connected yeah. on a whole lot of different levels right yeah. away with Michael. He did some time in New York as well, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you, uh, you were in Murphy's Law? Yep. Uh, and I'm just curious about what, what era were you in Murphy's Law? Uh, like 93, 94. Okay. okay. Dedicated, that record dedicated, you're on, right? No, uh, good for now, an EP. Good for now, right. Steve, I wrote the songs for dedicated, did like we did all that, but then I left. So, so I just out of curiosity, do you, uh, do you follow much of that, that scene now? Kind of what it's turned into? The whole hardcore scene, punk, the, the, the uh, raw rock scene, I guess? I, I mean, to a, to a degree, I mean, like there's yeah. a couple of us that really still are down with that kind of shit, you know what I mean? Um, it's 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 weird because we're all just getting older and it's you know and we it's just like being in the trenches they're going you know you're just they're all those from from Jimmy to like Roger every we're just like soldiers in this like army of like music and yeah we're just, those guys hang hard man Jimmy so just stop all those guys mm-hmm. are still working hard you yeah know? I mean and so. playing hard man right 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 for sure for sure you know, just out of curiosity um I do want to talk about um briefly some of the early stuff but uh you know what do you one of the, um, it's very difficult to keep a band going for uh, 20 years, much less three. And, um, you know, it's that, that conversation they always talk to the, the old guy down in the South and say, How'd you stay alive? And I said, I smoked a cigar every day and had a shot of whiskey or something yeah, like that. Yeah, well, um, you know, if we're there hoping was. hoping that's going to work for you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if we believe it, then it's. Uh, maybe it could it's become like, a before show ritual. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what, if there was like three things that you would suggest. Um, in order to keep that, or like the basics for a band to stay together. Very broad-based question, but I'm just curious if you've ever been able to kind of nail it down. Actually, when you said when you said much less three, you, you really hit it on the head. Um, the first, probably the first handful of years, 
you encounter a lot of the biggest obstacles right off, right out of the gate, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, we steamrolled all of those just based on pure enthusiasm. We just, we barely noticed those things, I and mean, we nothing stopped our, yeah, uh, our our movement forward. You know, I think sense of humor too. Like, like yeah. um, having um, fun, is really of humor and having a good time. The whole thing, thing was this was to fun, break you know? it down to the most like make it fun. And if any way possible, like at all the most difficult moments, to break it down to the most simple one thing, that'll be it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Find the fun in it. Find make it, it fun. Find what's good in there. In the business, in the every element of it, make it not so serious. Because don't take yourself so seriously. Suddenly, also, when everybody starts bringing label people in, and then you start getting fans, and you start thinking you're somebody, you are a piece of crap. Just have fun, like yeah, forget get over it. yourself, man. get over all of it. You're still a piece of crap, yeah, you know, like for sure. and just go with that because just play the show and have a good time. You can start really believing all start, this crap, yeah, believe in sh other people's shit. Because you guys actually started out um, in in the very early uh, first year or so. It was there, it was it's labeled now as you guys were a party band, um, mm -hmm. and uh, and so you guys used to get kind of ridiculed about that. But you guys were just out there to have fun and, and just enjoy the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were awful. Who's like, laughing when now? we started? Yeah, like, we were, we were bad for a <laughs> oh, long yeah, a time. A lot of people that were very uptight and did not like the. Yeah, uh, the vibe everyone hated us because they thought like you know like we weren't you know um, that serious or anything. It's like all like the kind of like intellectuals were like, oh, these guys are totally guys lame. Are but like, yeah. we were just having a good time and like it's just like um, um, enthusiasm was contagious that, almost. You know, and that because enthusiasm, we were good. exactly like you know the music industry never really recognized us, but. You know, when you look at our track record, it's pretty unreal. Like mm -hmm. the kind of element of of people we've reached through our enthusiasm and our heart, and that's where it really counts in the end. So, how did you sure. not make that? Because uh, the story goes is that you guys at one point you're being courted by Atlantic right before you you, you Surely, signed Epitaph, yeah. and and uh, uh, and you guys the the story again is is that you guys were actually almost reluctant to do Epitaph because you were trying to keep yeah. it real. Oh, but that was the point. Like yeah, yeah. I would say, like you know, now we 95. understand that. Like, but but back then you start realizing you got to like play into all this business and how to play it, and it crosses up with. You know, the music, and then everybody's got a different idea. He might have a different idea. He might have a different idea. So it really infects the music and the band on some level. And so being on the same page is completely the most important thing. Yeah, Whether, keep your core, you know. Whatever mm. that is, you guys as a band have to agree, first of all, on what that is whether it's signing to a major label and spending, making as much money as you can and blowing it as quickly as you possibly can, great. You know, if you agree on that, do it. Right. Whatever it might be. Um, just I think we wanted longevity, you know, and, that, and so that's part yeah. of it too. We yeah. didn't, we didn't want like a um, a real sharp incline, you know, because we just felt like that was it just went against nature, and that that it was that inevitably there would be an equal but opposite fall, and we mm. just never wanted to feel that way. We never wanted to f feel like a, some like one hit wonder, like where We've are they so now? Has beens, you know. We just wanted a long, steady upward incline, you know. Mm. Right. We've seen so many bands just kind of come and go, like when. Just as um, um, a young band, like, mm -hmm. we saw people just coming and going all the time, and we're like, we don't want to be that. Like, we want to be something that's gonna be around for a while. Was there anything? And once you were, Greg, you were kind of talking about, you know, the the things you have to do. Mm -hmm. Were there any of those things that you had to do in order to kind of fit into the machine that the industry is? That uh, were the probably the more difficult things for you guys to adjust yourselves to. Whether it was, I don't know, dealing with radio people or accepting that, you know, uh, 
you know, some artists have a problem like, you know, well, okay, the only way I'm going to get into this chain is somebody's got to pay them, yeah, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, I would say for myself personally that, you know, I don't regret anything, but looking back, I see how things affected me and I, mm. I learned from it. Mm. So it was all necessary to occur in the way it did. But mm. I would say now that I allowed a lot of those things to affect the creative part of me. Mm. Just maybe not in a sense of changing what we created, but I allowed myself to like think about those things. Take it into some Even for a minute, yeah. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's a total waste of time. Like it's a complete waste of time. Like, yeah. And now I understand that. Like what, do I, what makes my heart feel right in far mm. as this song or as a group effort or as in my own music alone with myself? Like what are, where does it hit me? And that's the most important thing. Like that's all that matters. And it takes time to learn that, and it's that's part of the process. Hmm. But um, as far as doing those kind of things, we as a group always kind of like, yeah, we we're like, one, we, we want to do role. that radio show thing. Do we want to like, you know, be a whore for this radio station? You know, and a lot of times we would talk about it and just be like, no. But then, hmm. do we want to do uh, have our song be in a Pepsi commercial that's going to be? A, in the Super Bowl? Yes. You know, absolutely. I like your mom. They're creating a commercial around our song, kind of. Mm -hmm. And um, that, that was, was awesome. Yeah, that was cool. Easy 10 grand, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't feel like a, in any way, shape, or form like, like, a, like any kind of sellout for that. That was awesome. That was so out of the blue. Mm -hmm. Pepsi approached us like, hey, we want to use 30 seconds of I Like Your Mom, which is a rhyme that I wrote in high school, you know? Yeah, I'll take 10000 bucks for that, sure. You remember when you wrote that in high school? <clears throat> yes. It was Brad Carmen, the Absent Mind of Fruit Bats. It was me and Brad. <laughs> the band's come around again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what an enduring lyric. Oh, I just quality. Out of, just out of curiosity, because um, I want to talk about, you know, the, just, and I'm not trying to, uh, to hype on the, the kind of reluctance at the time, this, this story about that you were like, oh, should we sign an epitaph? Is it going to be whatever? Because today, the label you are signed to doesn't matter anymore. You know, mm -hmm. back in the day, yeah, it was used a to, big deal. Oh yeah, you oh, were man. cool or uncool based upon that. Yeah. So you just need a MySpace page now. Really. There's so exactly. much <laughs> exactly. The stigma back then. It was like everything was. So oh, yeah. really, I mean, just so, just if you could embellish on that a little bit, like what was the hesitation about signing? Because I mean, today a, kids a, would be dying of, to sign an Epitaph. You know, but. there was a lot of stigma attached with Epitaph, and 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 of course at that time, punk was blowing <laughs> up in the mid '90s, and and um, the punk community was like, you know really up in arms and a lot of finger pointing and a lot of this is a sellout and that's not a sellout and this is a sellout and everyone was sort of there was a lot of confusion i think it also reflected like society at that time too like mm. this a new awareness of what was right politically correct and it was like what was happening in our society coming out of the 70s and 80s and the so so-called like decadence of it and then everybody's like hold on we have to you know, be more politically correct. And then all these things came out that suddenly seemed like they were good. But in the end, in the hindsight, it really began to be a repression in a different kind of way. Yeah. And it was, now you're just like, whoa, we were analyzing the crap out of all this out stuff. It was such yeah. a waste of time. I, I think it's Epitaph, true. too, like at the time, like yeah. more specifically, was, was uh, a very... Um, um, West Coast thing, like it was mm. extremely. There was like, like a sound, like, kind of like there was the a nine yeah. was an right. epitaph yeah. thing, and right. we were like an extremely East Coast band, so we're kind of like, oh, yeah. those bands are lame, you know, but whatever, like <laughs> right. a bunch of kids with like right. you know, a bunch of bad attitude. We had a lot of bad work, a lot of East Coast <laughs> and, fuck you, and, us. and uh, you know, so at the time, like that was a big factor, like with epitaphs, yeah. 
Yeah. We wanted to represent the East that Coast was, pure and That true, was a choice you know? we made, yeah. But um, basically what, what changed our mind was um, Brett took us out to lunch, and he's like, I want to, I you know, told us all about how the label was run, which, which was really it's nothing we knew. The way they did things was so different, and we were really impressed by that. He's like, but I want you guys to come see it, you know? We're like, okay, we'll take it. You know, first, we're like, all right, we'll take a free lunch. Yeah. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, we'll take a free flight out to L.A., yeah, you know? But it, that's all it took. We went and walked around and toured the label and everything, and we're like, ah, oh, man, this is really different. There's a, there was a vibe there that was amazing, really positive, really creative, mm-hmm. really cool, a lot of punk rock energy there. It was cool. Everyone there, too, at, at the time, um, were musicians too, like yeah, everyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like all band there. people running the label. You know, it's uh, it's interesting. There in this uh, in the oral history um, that is uh, on you guys. It's going to be an AP. Um, there's a there's a part in there about this this old f- fight, quote unquote, battle with Lifetime. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> rivalry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And um, and. <laughs> Uh, the, the description comes back saying, you know, it's all based upon assumptions and Lifetime wasn't as straight. They claim they weren't as straight edge as you guys thought and you guys weren't as big a partiers <laughs> as they thought. And well, so you know it's just it like was, all just had, nonsense. Yeah, it, was, it was peripheral posse uh, members of, yeah, of each yeah. band, you know, because like, you weren't just a band. You were a household, too, you know. Yeah. Each of us weren't just a band. We were surrounded by our friends and just, and just kind of like lingerers, you know. Each There was actually three houses in New Brunswick, like the Sticks and Stones house, the Lifetime Quarters and the Bouncing Souls house. And each of them was, was a, like, a, like a crew, you know? And it was kind of like the hangers-on, some of like the more peripheral members of our household, sort of, that were like, did a lot of shit talking, and, and that <laughs> and happened back then. On their side, too. Like, I, yeah. I, I, like, we are playing a show with them one time, and I think, like, some kid that Mosh was, like, Pit their Steamroll. friend, like, um, yeah. um, Pit they wrote something, MPSR, like, the Mosh Pit they wrote Steamroll. something, like, on, like, the merch box, like, the Bouncing Souls like, oh, yeah. or lame or something, you know, we're like, those fucking assholes. Yeah, you know, like that was it, a, it was a huge so thing dumb. back then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was like serious So they're stuff. tagging your merch boxes yeah. and, and all hell breaks loose. <laughs> <laughs> Got it right. But it wasn't the band at all. Yeah, you know, it's yeah, like yeah, some, yeah. It was, yeah, man. We had, we had, we had, yeah. <laughs> the Mosh Pit Steamroller is probably out there listening right yeah, now. Yeah, Mosh Pit Steamroller was a kid that, part of, of the Lifetime crew, you know? Okay. And he did a lot of shit talking. We all later became great friends. And then we had some pretty rough skinhead kids that were like, did a lot. We're all too happy to get involved in any kind of conflict, you know? <laughs> and we're, we're definitely giving the Bouncing Souls a, it's just a great name all over New Brunswick. <laughs> we, were no, we, were, we were banned from parties. Uh, really? Rutgers parties we were banned from. We were banned from we're Rutgers banned from the, as being an unruly band. The whole band. campus. Yeah, we we had a great reputation. You guys were the germs of the of the East Coast, I guess. Yeah, almost. It's anything but being bored, you know. Just anything to 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 fight the boredom, and we we just brought out the best and the worst. So, did you guys have a perception as you were as you were saying, Peter? Like there was a perception about the West Coast bands and the sound and so forth. So, as you guys started to get acclimated to the epitaph system, and you know, I imagine back then that they were probably trying to team you up with some of their acts to do things together and so forth, so on. Was that happening at all? I mean, and, and I guess, did the perception of the West Coast crew, I Actually, guess, in a yeah, way, we, change? Yeah. I think at the time, too, like, like there were a lot of, like, of, like really good bands on Epitaph. So, like, we'll leave a couple yeah, of tours. The that, Descendants, like, that's kind of, right. we toured together with them in, in, in 96. In particular, yeah. you know? Yeah. We'd already crossed that line. And we to, we were the, part of the Epitaph expansion. Because they, yeah, they, they started signed, out they as, like, doing too, the so punk, a lot of Southern California-style music, and then... We were part of that expansion, and yeah. now it's expanded like incredibly. Like, Anti yeah, blues on. and everything. So, so yeah. your your first three records with Epitaph, you, you worked with Tom Wilson. 
Yeah. Uh, there's producer. And he, I mean, the guys, he did Dead Kennedys, the Vandals, um, the Stiff Baders. Yeah, exactly. And so there, and there is another piece in the oral history about where you guys are just, you like just soaking in all the stories that he told you at the time. Um, do you guys remember any of those stories? Um, I mean, obviously maybe some mm. were pretty scandalous and you don't want to repeat them, but if you can remember them, but I mean, were there things like you really were, good at, some of them um, were too scandalous to repeat that I recall. Ron Emery um, stories yeah, like, <laughs> were pretty scandalous. <laughs> All TSOL stories that were all TSOL really, really really definitely lived it hard. They <laughs> lived it hard. For sure, man, it's for about, sure. about all you, you can imagine. You know, did any of the, did you anything can they tell you change your opinion or even just about the industry, like how the industry really works? It kind of like shocked you guys into the system. Like, they were all they were all like warm fuzzy stories. They just actually uh, added to the mystique of punk rock because uh, we grew up like you know listening to all those bands, you know. Yeah, and so we wanted to know all these things about him, obviously. But everything mm -hmm. he told us just added to the mystique. We just we loved those bands all the more after that. Mm -hmm. Tom Wilson, too, just hanging out with him, just like his like uh, um, his viewpoints on life in general, like the kind of things that I think influenced us more too. Like he was so, just a real. So the, yeah. so the so the part two of that would be now where bands are coming up to you guys, and even Michael with 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 uh, you know a band like. Um, Murphy's Law is held in high esteem. I mean, that's like, you know, a god band for a lot of uh, music fans. Yeah. And so do you guys find uh, younger musicians, younger fans coming up to you wanting to hear your stories yeah, of sure. back yeah. in the day, quote oh, unquote? Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, and you, just, you get to that point where you, you, you become a, you get to dad age, you know, and once you're <laughs> a dad age, like then, you know, that's, that has to happen anyway. The stories have to come out. Yeah. So yeah. we had They're that too, too, and, too and growing up. So yep. it's part of life, I think. Yeah. Does it's it make you, you guys feel old? No, oh, I don't no. think so at all. Experienced. Yeah. 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 Wise. <laughs> yeah, we don't use words like old. I feel like I was we use older, words like legend, experience. When I was wisdom. younger, because I was a much more stressed and took things way too seriously. I feel like younger now in mm. a lot of ways than I did back then. But mm. that's how I was when I was younger. Not everyone's like that. Yep. So, just a couple questions, uh, and we're going to take a music break. But uh, talk about yourselves. I, I was doing the research and stuff like that, and I, I you know, I've, I've I've read about the early days and stuff, but. Uh, what were you guys each like uh, high school period? Hmm. Huh. What were you? What were you like? What kind of <laughs> kid were you back then? We used to work. totally erratic, like yeah, unstable, <laughs> confused, <laughs> like you know, yeah, totally manic, everything a mother would love, yeah, kind of <laughs> like really, you know, had a lot of creative potential and then a lot of destructive potential. I think, I think that's one thing we could all probably. Yeah, agree that we were all had those elements. We were all over the us. board, man. We skated every day after school. We'd get together and skate, and then it, and and play guitars, man. Because uh, it all happened in the garage. Play know, guitars, the drive drinking. Of course, we drank every night. <laughs> you know what? It's like kind of a weird suburban upbringing where there wasn't a whole lot to do. So you'd you, and you had so much energy, and so you'd you know you'd come home from school and you'd skate and you'd you'd make music. And uh, then eventually you'd go to a diner, and then you just drink coffee and smoke butts, and then play video games, and then go skate the curb outside the diner until like three in the morning. You just never run out of energy, and it was like, what do I do next? You know, let's go steal stuff. Then like, you know? yeah, so we'd all like, um, I'm getting a car and like, like go to shows together too, which is right. Like the and biggest of course, part of we, what we just yeah. followed whatever was United going us, on in City know? Gardens, right, in New York City, and we would soak it up whatever bands we saw. And then, you know, if, I don't know, you guys. Ever want to do something with City Gardens in Trenton? It's a massive historical. Somebody's document. writing a book about and it. Right it's now. a really? book coming out. It's uh, 
Randy now, who tour managed like everybody back then in the 80s, and then he started promoting shows at City Gardens. And if you just look at the shows, uh-huh. it blows your mind. Like in the, a span of like a few months, like who played there? Yeah, in any one month, it'd be like the Ramones, Rollins, Fugazi, Toots and the Maytals. Like this I've massive seen every, yeah, amount. I've, I've seen from like to, I saw Sam Kinison there. I've seen like, like, suicidal like, tendencies, all kinds there. of yeah, stuff. Black flag, yeah, like, before the metal, like, before the metal. I yeah, saw, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw P Funk there. I yeah. saw Blondie there. And they'd have like yeah, yeah. Um, 80s pop bands that are like you know Idol, Flesh for Lulu. You know? So like, each yeah. one of you guys, let's just go down the row, and, and then when we'll take a music break, uh, give me the the show from your youth that was like you're still your favorite show that you will reminisce and talk about for hours on end, Michael. Uh, City Gardens, man. Um, Probably Dag Nasty, Gang Green, and Agent Orange. Nice. <laughs> Mine is also City Gardens. <laughs> Seven Seconds and the Angry Samoans. Remember the Meat Men shows, too? Yeah, oh, I'll, uh, I'll pick the Meat Men. The Meat Men was really good, and that um, government issue from D.C. opened up. And that, seeing him, the singer of government issue, was Johnny Stapp. Johnny yeah. Stapp. Mm. Was, he was, had an amazing like showmanship. Um, I'd actually have but, to say he was a huge influence on you as a friend. Yeah, he really was. Like he, Just that one show had a big, big influence on me for sure. And I got to throw it into the mix because we got to take it out of City Gardens. Seeing Bruce Springsteen also when I was about 13 was a huge, huge influence too. Wow. The boss. Yeah. yeah of course. Yeah. That's either um, 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 seeing Fishbone in, like, in the 80s. Yeah. Like, yeah. At, like, yeah. at a, a couple of times. So amazing, yeah. Um, in the cramps. Also, the also the, one of the most mind-blowing live shows, Lux Interior. Yeah, sure. Right up until his final days, right. rest in peace, was mm. one of the best frontmen ever, ever, mm. I'd have to say. It's, a, it's, a, it's probably a good suggestion for listeners to uh, go on YouTube and learn find about some Learn about video. the cramps, you know. Treat so, yourself. Blow your mind. Yeah. So <laughs> let's, let's, uh, let's give the listeners a, uh, a homework project right now. Uh, one band, it could be any band, okay, any song, um, from your youth that you want somebody that's maybe 16 years old right now that wants to find out about that era you ha- you tell them like you got to go and buy that song so michael we'll start with you what do you what would be that band in that song dag nasty safe i'm going to go with the replacements one of the greatest bands that i don't know not enough people know about the replacements right should learn about the replacements of paul westerberg which song um, I'll give you any, any song, man. Uh, on the Bus, okay. which we're thinking about uh, covering, actually. Hmm. Cool. I'll throw in a totally op- off the wall, different from those, and that's um, a Toots in the Maytals song, mm-hmm. Pressure Drop. Just like there you go. One of the greatest soul singers ever. Yep. And seeing him live had a huge impact on me, too. Yeah. It's hmm. awesome. Um, I'll stick with the, uh, um, the Cramps. Uh, nice. Okay. Um, boy, I walk.
So you guys got signed, you signed Epitaph, you start putting out the records, you're growing, uh, things start uh, building and building for you guys. Um, and, uh, and then um, things start getting a little crazy 
um, with uh, with Shao, and uh, the the time somebody somebody one of my friends in a band uh, they had to uh, remove their drummer uh, just last week, and uh, and one of them texted me last night and said, "I'm starting to miss him," and yeah. I said, "Well, you have to remember, you just pulled a tooth." Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like the pain's right there, right off the bat. And there's a talk, there's a story about that you guys basically sat down with Shell in, in a coffee shop, mm-hmm. and you guys did the best you could at that time mm-hmm. to kind of deal with the situation. Um, you know, looking back on it, um, is there are there do's or don'ts in um, how to deal with that sort of a situation where you where for whatever reason somebody has to go? Yeah, mm-hmm. don't react. It's, it's easy to react out of emotion and. Um, hmm. That's something you, you then you're going to end up regretting whatever you do. You know, it's those are huge things, mm. and it, 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 you should spend a lot of time mm. thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like no matter what happens, it's awful. You know. And, yeah, and no matter what, it's, it's, it sucks. It. It's, it's like losing like a a limb. You know. Like, yeah, and the, the most difficult part too in in those moments, like you, you can say like well, it's good to do this and you should do that, but it's sometimes really difficult to express yourself in those moments mm. in, a, in a, from a place that you're completely like, okay, well, this is really how I feel and this is how I felt when you did that and when we all did this and then this happened and then we felt this way. You know, mm-hmm. like, That's not so easy to really be precise about. Mm. So um, it's just not easy. <laughs> In those situations, because Shao's truly a brother of ours, and mm. we got to this point where we were, it just wasn't working, so we didn't know what else to do. Mm. And I know I felt guilty, and I wasn't able to express myself so well mm. in that moment because it was a confusing time. And so, like Brian said, you know, to assess it as best you can to be able to express yourself how you really feel without. <clears throat> Gotten off, going off the handle. It's it's not so easy, but do the best you can because in the end, you know you're gonna feel best about it, the situation, whether it's in whatever direction it goes. Mm. Yeah, I think he's a nice guy and a great drummer, but I wasn't really saddened by it at all. <laughs> <laughs> I just gotta say, I, I wasn't really sad. No, we're getting to you next. I swear. Kind of. I mean, it was not really a bummer for me. I just gotta say. Yeah. Um, you know, especially in this day and age where everything is done via text message and, you know, there's actually now uh, websites out there where you can break up with somebody and you put it up there and then they send them a text message on a timer Wow! when you want them. Yeah. Um, it's a new world. So, you know, sometimes managers... Sometimes managers will offer to do the dirty work. Wow, man. That is hurting. That's some guts. I just got a big H for hurting, man. That is, would you recommend ever? Oh, no? Yeah, don't or, let your manager do anything like that. I mean, come on. It sucks that like that people are so fucking gutless that they would even yep. even consider that to be an option, you know? Yeah, I mean, I've been lazy in my life, but that's hurting, man. Yeah. That is a big H for hurting. Yeah. Hmm. So that, I mean, that's part of life. I mean, you got to do that. I mean, just for yourself. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you're, you're missing out. You're missing out on an important part of life by doing that. So, how, so the story, I mean, you guys have talked about this a little bit in, in interviews, but just for the sake of the listeners that are being introduced to you right now, um, you guys, you had known Michael around in the scene for a while. Um, so how did that one, two, three into his, into bringing him into the band happen? It's funny because it was all new experience for us to deal with, you know, and um, 
it's we asked around and, and got a couple of suggestions and realized that we we're, we're going to have to actually put an ad and then we put an ad in the Village Voice, which is right. so weird. And um, to, to us, you know, because we just came from high school together and that was it, you know. <clears throat> right. And uh, Pete and I were left with dealing with this and we put an ad and we had to uh, yeah. we had to field a lot of phone calls. We got all kinds of great phone calls. A lot of great phone calls. <laughs> like, just, <laughs> like you can only imagine. Like, yeah, yeah, I'll play drum with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you what do you like to play? You know, like kind of like, well, have you heard of our band? Nah, but. I could play the shit out of some drums, you know. <laughs> some drums in my mom's basement, you know. Fuck. Oh. Get them out. <laughs> what? It was like jerky boys kind of thing, you know. <laughs> and uh, luckily, um, through a friend of a friend, one thing led to another, and, and Michael, we, and we were trying, we had to try people out, and that was kind of awkward and weird, too, you know. And then once Michael sat down and played, it was hopeless romantic. He just nailed it so, he's a hard hitter, and he just nailed it so well. Pete and I looked at each other, and we knew we had our guy. Hmm. Yeah. Did you? Uh, you and then been, I was sad. And then, and then, <laughs> <laughs> there, there was. Uh, there's been. Uh, I read that 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 bringing him in. Obvi- well, obviously, would happen that way. But how did it change the dynamics within the music? Like, did it change the songs you've been? Oh yeah, a lot. It, it like you've been dramatic. playing. It totally changed it. We realized like how we'd been like really fucking lazy for so yeah, long. For one you know? thing. Like, yeah, we had really. Our band had, had become this kind of like. <laughs> you guys were mushy, night guys. He was morning. What was the deal? Mushy, like no, no just, just like um, just, just like. Just playing from you know, touring as, so as, much. We had, we had not the songs being had, yeah. on top of it. It just gets lazier and lazier, and everyone develops bad habits. And that's like another a, thing I mean, as a band. Band guys out there, you start touring a lot. It's it's not always easy to stay on your game because you're you become lazy touring because you're playing. If you're playing the songs every night, mm. you start to forget stuff because your mind starts wandering. You're losing the whole impact of like oh, the new song that starts to fade after a while. And it's new to the people, but you have to keep that energy for yourself. And whatever it takes to do that, whether it be changing the set, you know, playing a song differently, doing you know, messing with each other, or you know, with the audience, interacting with the audience, all those things are really important. I think we ended up like uh, like relearning all of our because we had to teach him every song. You know, we had to sit down and we started playing them. We're like, wow, these are great songs. You know, in the past, (laughs) we'd be like, oh god, here's the song again. You know, right? So we learned to play. Slip into that head because you become a robot on tour a lot of times. Yeah, Yeah. and we we had developed like a drunken style of playing all these songs too. We realized we're like, God, man, everything was a little sloppier, a little slower, and just would wander off tempo, and, and just and every one of them had this weird thing and. We had to look at the song scientifically from the start again. And, yep. I mean, they just, you got to understand, they, the whole dynamic of their lives changed because that wasn't, he wasn't just like a drummer. He was like mm-hmm. one of the four musketeers that right. had left. Yeah. And they had, on, on the, just the drummer side alone, they had never really played with other drummers. So mm-hmm. that was like weird. They're like the only band that hasn't played with like a bazillion different people. You know, they were like the four of them mm. from high school on up. So. The dynamic of life, let alone just the music, was you know different. It was, it was cool to come into, you know, because hmm. they were like, like you know, they had never experienced it, and I had been like the drum whore, so I was like, Haha, you guys know, wow, it's your first time on whore row. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like they just had no idea, but it was, and it was also, you know, they they lost a great friend, so it was like, right. you know, trying to, I needed to ease that in as well as just trying. To How does your stage show change? How has it changed from? Like like uh, we're bringing Michael in, how did it change at the time? You well, it changed, besides waking you up, it changed obviously. with the music. Um, yeah. uh, how I spent my summer vacation. If you listen mm-hmm. to that compared to anything before it, you can. 
there's like a sharpness there that wasn't in any of the previous stuff. And um, that was like that pretty representative of the attitude and energy in the band mm. that came with Michael. Like we, I mean, Shal was at a point where he was kind of like starting to almost like rebel against playing fast. He didn't want to play anything punk. He didn't want to play anything fast. And I had a million fast songs in me I wanted to write. And okay. with Michael, he was like, all right, give me, what do you want? You know, and, and those songs, it was like great because Michael's like a great hardcore drummer, a great punk drummer. And we got to, we got to get off a lot of good, badass, fast stuff. And it just, it woke the shit out of the band. Just like, and that energy, like that True Believers tour, that, that was like a, a beginning of, of modern day Bouncing Souls. Did you, you know, sometimes, you, I'm sure you guys have done it too. Um, and I know that even the editors upstairs have done it where, you know, you're, you're, you're pretty close with fellow musicians or with bands and, you know, they put out a record and you're like, ah, oh, that's cool. And then all of a sudden they put out something that just blows you away. You're like, wow, this is really good. And did you guys find that people were, your, your fans and maybe your fellow musicians were like um, happier now with yeah, the stuff you were doing? Yeah, we got a lot of compliments than... from fellow musicians on that one. There's like a whole, yeah, like a, like a new breath of life in, in, yep. in our, our sales, you know, that, that whole era and the whole record. So you, you guys didn't have to go deal it. with the, like the fans that liked you and your earlier yeah, the sound. Thing, the strange thing well, about uh, fans is that people are like, there are people that are forever going to be a fan of like Maniacal Laughter. Or, which is yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, I hope it's yeah. romantic. Everyone's got a favorite record, a favorite moment, you know. Yep. That's yeah. cool. That's actually a good question. Is there a record that you guys don't understand why? Like, like the guys uh, in MXPX, they, their fans, hands down, like slowly going the way of the buffalo. And then sometimes they don't know why. Um, but, <laughs> they, but the fans love that particular record. And is there a record for you guys that's like that your fans like one particular record? Not like, really specific. You know, the Hope is <laughs> Romantic, but it's, it's spread out pretty evenly. Hopeless actually. is. Wow. It might be that one. Yeah. A lot of people love the shit out of Hopeless Romantic. And Olay. And, and maybe Olay is the part that we yeah, don't understand. That's like, a song that we're like, like, how do you like that song? <laughs> I mean, the Olay part is great. The chant part is yeah. awesome. But the verses, you know, that's why we don't play it live. The verses are just like a weird thing that happened once in the studio, you know? Like, sorry, we're not <laughs> going to perform that. We don't even know how. So, like, what was, like, your, uh, what was your touring life um, back at this point? Because this was probably the, the considered, like, one of the, the uh, one of the many peaks that you guys have had It was in this in the area. So, like, were you guys on a bus by that point? Were you... We had gotten our, what's called the White Castle, who, which we still have in 96... Mm. And we had fixed it up, and um, it was a regular touring machine for us, and it was we were definitely in that in that mode. Mm. Yeah, we chose a, a route that was um, pretty pretty damn smart, if I do say so myself. <laughs> um, where, where we could have gotten a bus, um, we had this. Yeah, we bought a 14 foot box truck and converted it into an RV, and um, just drove it ourselves, you know, with our crew. We've been in it ever since. We're still in it. It's parked outside <laughs> right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it is your traveling apartment. So. Yeah. 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 A, well, you get a bus. You, if you're on a bus, you don't really get hotels. You, gotta, mm. you get a day room, so you got to go in, shower, and get the hell back out. Like, but you know, we get like, it's it's really awesome and plush inside, and then you get best out, of both worlds. In, yeah, and then you go into a hotel. Rooms, yeah. So it's like, I'd I usually be. I usually ask this question at the end of the, at the end of the interview, but I'll ask you now because it seems like the time is. Tell me about the time you almost died on the road. Which time? <laughs> there was a, there was definitely a, <laughs> okay. at least one Wyoming one that I can recall. We had a bear once. That was pretty scary. Yeah, wig, right? What was the snow? What was the snow um, incident? We, I was driving once in the van. This was before the White Castle, probably right before it. Um, across Wyoming, there's a stretch mm. 
of it's 80 i believe yeah. Yeah, before yeah. cheyenne it's a pretty it's a very erratic area mm-hmm. and uh i didn't know that at the time but it was like the fall it wasn't winter time and it was just the perfect time to get in trouble like we're cruising along whatever 65 70 and it was not it just started getting a little cold no snow on the ground at all just just a little bit of flurries and I bet a, a, in a matter of 20 minutes, not even, before it just started flurrying, I, I probably should have, if I had been driving out west and had the experience, I would have known to, like, <clears throat> drop it back to 60 or 55 as soon as I saw it was snowing, but I was still cruising up at 70. <laughs> and within a few minutes, we hit it, like, and I skidded out on the highway. And everybody was like, ah, whoa, whoa. Steer into it, dude, steer into it. Steer into it. <laughs> we land, like. Fish tailing. <laughs> Pump the brakes. Pump you, the brakes. You, hit, you hit black ice? Yeah. Probably, yeah. Yeah. And we landed, like, you know, the wrong way. Per- perpendicular, perpendicular across the highway. On the highway. And we stalled, okay? Oh, even better. So okay. I'm like, okay, cool, whatever. And then somebody looks down the highway, like, there, far, far away down the highway, there's a truck coming at us. <laughs> We're like, okay, it's not starting. It's not starting. Yeah, I hope he sees us. You know, and that moment was the scariest moment where it was like, okay, that thing could just, just going to take us out. So I probably, it didn't take a whole lot of times. So I probably, after like four or five times, it started up, slowly backed it up, started moving, and we were okay. But then the snow just nailed us, and we cruised at, you know, 20 miles an hour for, like, 10 hours. <coughs> People were, like, peeing in Tupperware and stuff and throwing Yeah, that's right. You couldn't stop or, or go any faster, stop. you know? We couldn't stop because we knew we might get stuck, and it was a long, long way to, like, an actual motel stop at that speed at that section of highway. It took, like, eight, yeah, like it, 10 hours. We'd just gotten to, like, a state park. Like, yeah. just hit it, and it was, like... 100 miles of state park of nothing yeah, just yeah. nothing and at that speed at that point in time you hate trees right yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. so that Fuck was nature. that was one yeah <laughs> nature sure one every, bouncing souls nothing everyone who's toured has had that moment you know or driven on the country around, around the country a lot for sure yeah something like that we've, we've gone off the road in Wyoming too didn't we go into a ditch with Lifetime they Wyoming? did I think they did we yeah. were they, they skidded off the road on that tour right. and yeah, we, we were right with them so we stopped, and then a guy, a local guy, came and pulled him out. Yeah, that's right. Another Wyoming story. And then in Wyoming also, our friends, Sticks and Stones, their trailer caught on fire, and everything in it just burned to the ground. It's like the, the Bermuda Triangle of, yeah, it's a, it's of a, touring. <laughs> Wyoming. Yeah, for sure. Is it true that uh, you guys figured out that one year you did about, well, on average, you did about 333, like, dates on the road or something like that, and it was roughly about a year's worth of... We had a couple of years like that. Didn't, I, think, like I think like, yeah. Right around. We didn't, have a place, we didn't have a place to go home to. So it, we had yeah. crossed that line where there's, there's a funny line you cross where um, after you cross it, you really can't hold down a job because you're away too much. So right. no one's going to hire you because you're away more than half of the year. But you're still totally broke because your band's not making any money. Right. And then you just want more shows because that's the only way you're going to get food money. You know. And you start having to put more money into it. Like you need to hire somebody to somebody else that you haven't had that you've done stuff by yourself. And now you're paying this new guy so that you know, there's more money that you're putting into it. And as it expands, you have to make more money to keep the boat floating. You just, you just got to like, keep touring. This touring, is a touring. whole other thing that when you're starting out in those first year or two, it's like, who cares? Nobody cares who you are. 
Nobody yeah. knows who you are. No one cares if, you know, because you almost, there's almost a freedom in that time, too. It's a local band reality. That once that you get some success, that this, all this thing that you wanted, you realize that, you know, you got the shop open now. You got to keep that shop open if you want to do this and make a living. It's a whole new bag of tricks that you have to learn and become a businessman and then still be like, yeah, dude, let's rock. You and gotta like, be a you're having man, fun. And you, you gotta be a I mean? mule, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> you gotta be a workhorse. There's a whole other. There's a, there's a record title in that someplace yeah. Businessman <laughs> and a Mule. Yeah. Yep. yeah. There's a whole other bag in that once it gets to that point, for sure. And you know, it kind of leads in. I'm sorry, <clears throat> somebody gonna say something? And you gotta be the life of the party. You gotta be a mule. You gotta be the life of the party. And you gotta be a businessman somehow. Yeah. Now it's a song title. You gotta learn to pee in bottles. <laughs> mule, <laughs> businessman, pee in a bottle. <laughs> Piss Bottle Man. Actually, you know, this is a, we're That's getting a, right into Mike Watt territory because he's got a song called Piss Bottle Man and he's got mm. a record called Ball Hog or Tugboat, right? Yeah. Mike Watt. Well, yeah. Just a little shout out to Mike I, I know who Mike Watt is. I haven't followed you've him got a, quite That a guy is the guy the who you've mi- got to interview. Yeah, yeah exactly. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, about yeah. doing for this. Sure. And yeah. uh, for those out there who want to know who Mike Watt is, or he's a, an amazing, if you're a bass player, he's it's like the worth best. checking him out. He was in a band called The Minutemen. And Fire then Hose. Firehose, who right. also influenced us in the yeah. late 80s and early 90s. Saw them a couple times. Now he's playing with uh, Iggy Pop. Iggy oh, Pop. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Cool, cool. So, yeah. Mike worth checking out. an amazing person. And the most, like, the most van living. The road, most road dog road, ever. The most the road dog ever. I met him years ago. Years he's ago. He's like a real hero of what we do. You know, you were talking about being, um, you know, like you're kind of stuck and you're being broke, but and it, it kind of leads into um, something I wanted to bring up. There's a show that's on NPR on the weekends, and what they do is uh, it's from Britain, and, and part of the, the part of the part of the show is they do this thing where they deliver a punchline, and then <laughs> the person has to do deliver the whole story ahead of it. So I'm going to deliver the punchline right now, All right. because I want to go into what's what you guys <laughs> refer to as the kiss story. <laughs> so I'm going to give you the punchline and then you tell the story and deliver the punchline again. So cool. the punchline is, dude, I don't know. I, I don't pay the rent. So that's the punchline. <laughs> so go ahead and tell the kiss story and get to that point. This is kind of funny because <laughs> I think I know where this is supposed to come from. And okay. what's funny is the punchline's wrong. Oh, I it's wrong. somehow we got it wrong. Okay. Okay. <laughs> go ahead. I'll give you the, what it was said. Okay. Let's go for that. I'm all for correcting It stuff. was, well, you know. At least it, it still pays the rent. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's that right. was what it was. So okay. Close. Close. Maybe okay. It got messed Transcribed. Up in the recording. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So we're in the studio um, with Tom Wilson doing um, um, Michael after it, and like, he had turned down like all these bands. Like, Let's just set it up. Kiss Tom Wilson had just done the Offspring, done the Offspring which sold 8 million copies uh, or something. Okay. He just came okay. out of, literally out of obscurity. <clears throat> no one knew him at all. He drove down from where he lived in Northern California in his camper because Offspring begged him to produce the record. Mm. He wouldn't even want to do it. He's like, this is my last record. I'm not interested in doing the punk records anymore. I just, he was doing all kinds of other stuff. And he stayed in his camper for two weeks, did that record, and just drove home and decided, thought he'd never think of Back it again. Back up to his mountain. It would just be a little punk band. like They'd go out and just never hear about it again. Eight million dollars. Later. Eight million <laughs> records later. He's and, like the hottest producer. Everybody wants a piece of him. Everyone's trying to hire him. Aerosmith. We met him on um, um, Offspring tour because they, 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 they somehow talked him into being their front of house man, guy, which is yeah. insane because just getting Tom 
off his mountain. Yeah. It's hard enough as it is. You know? But just because he'd never been on tour, he agreed to go on tour and just check it out because he'd never been on tour before. And he was experiencing all this new stuff like money and like <laughs> notoriety. New stuff like money. <laughs> A lot of money. And, yeah. You know, and uh, so he met us and, you know, he hit, he noticed something in us that he really liked. And so that was when he said, give me a call if you guys want to make a record. And that was at this time. Aerosmith's calling him to make a record, and he asked us to make one. And Kiss yeah. was asking him Kiss to make a record. And, like, he turned him down. <laughs> all these bands, he's like, I don't want to do a record with Kiss. You know, like, fuck that. Let's you know? make a punk record. That's in punk rock, rock. Let's make a punk rock. That's punk rock. That was the first thing he decided to do. The hottest producer at that moment, and he decided to do our record in three days. Yeah. yeah. Like, with, our, with our zero budget. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. BYO records. Our budget, you know, in three days. You know, like, make a record. He's like, I'm totally down to do it. And he did. It was awesome. Awesome. It's a good imitation. It's like we, those guys that want to live on the street. Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. A, yeah, yeah. Tom's like so, that, man. So here's the scene. We're in the studio. It's in LA. We're uh, at Track Records, and um, we're running, we're doing our thing or whatever. Um, two, we're sitting outside. We're sitting outside, okay? And a black car, Land Rover, pulls up. All black, like tinted all, windows, you know, like full on. blacked out, all black. <laughs> right, somebody's dying. Who right, walks exactly. Out? <laughs> like, see, yes. Yeah, Gene Simmons um, walks somebody out. Somebody steps out. A guy who looks star. like Gene Simmons, but it is Gene Simmons. <laughs> yeah, but it is Gene Simmons. <laughs> <laughs> and we're sitting outside of the table, like Shal and me, and I guess like I maybe all. There. I was yeah, out there. Yeah. yeah, Greg, and we're just smoking butts and just being punk and stuff. And he walks up. He's like, "Hi, who are you?" And we're like, "We're the Bouncing Souls." He's like, "I'm Gene." Which was a <laughs> weird, like, weird, no, weird introduction. Oh my god! <laughs> we're just kind of like we sort of just kind of quiet, like, oh, "Hey, what's up, dude?" You know? Did, did like he, he hear like a um, shout wrong or something? Like, did he say something like, "How the story go?" Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, <coughs> so, uh, yeah. Matter. Anyway, doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, sure enough, like there's there's two rooms in track record, and we were in one, and Kiss turned out being in the other room. And they were doing a Kiss Unplugged for MTV at the mm. time. They were mm-hmm. doing that. And that's what, I guess maybe that's what they wanted Tom for. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, oh, there's Tom Wilson. And do it with this band. Who are they? You know? So they came in. At one point, they came into they the came control knocking. room. And they said, yeah, how did it happen? All of a sudden, they came knocking. And like somebody pokes their head in the control room. We're all in there. And uh, one of them's like, hey, do you guys mind if we come check it out? And we said, you know, of course, we're like, yeah, come on in. Sure, so here comes all of The Kiss. door opens. Not just one or two. All of them came in <laughs> yeah. and sat down and listened all to Lamar Vinoy. We're playing back Lamar Vinoy. It's that song that was on that record. Yeah. And then, okay, we sat down. We're listening <laughs> to some tunes, right, for like a minute or two. Hanging out with Kiss. We're pumping yeah. hands with Kiss, you know. <laughs> and then the song ends, and then they're like, cool, sounds good, guys. Have a good rest of your session. They all file out. Goodbye, yeah. right? The door closes, and simultaneously, we're all like, you just had your Wayne's World moment. I got yeah, it. we yeah. did. We like Kiss visited our session yeah. and hung out and listened to Lamar Vinoy. You yep. know what I mean? And then we just had we had more days there together. You know, we'd just see him every day. I wandered into their room. There's like a a TV room that's not, not there's like the recording room and then there's like sort of a lobby with a TV room for their for their half. Right. And there, I remember they were watching the OJ trial all day and I. I had my coffee and I kind of wandered over to the door for a while and I'm like watching OJ on TV with him and I eventually just walked right up and sat on the couch with him, just bullshitted with him about the OJ trial and I'm like, yeah, I'm just hanging out with Gene and Paul watching yeah. OJ trial. So we could probably bring it around to the punchline now. Hey, which Gene, was, hey, Paul. Which How's was, it going, guys? Hey, what's up, Gene, Paul? <laughs> we were having... The punchline, actually, now. All right, okay. <laughs> right. We were having one of those conversations and it was with Paul and, and in the conversation, 
uh, we were like, man, you guys have been doing it for so long. He's like, I, for some, somebody said, how many records had you made? And at that point, it was something like 28 records or something. And I was like, I'm only 22 years old, and you made 22 records. <laughs> and that was when Paul says, well, yeah, it still pays the rent. And that was it. There, there's the story. There you go. So, the, the kiss story. That goes up History. on Wikipedia now. Like that's, what, that's what happens. So um, I do do this for the second uh, song break, and uh, uh, it, it helps new listeners uh, uh, discover a little bit more about your band's uh, music. Uh, so why don't you give me, we're going to do two songs from your, from your guys' history. Uh, give me first, um, if we can d bring it down to just one song possibly, the song that's probably <clears throat> um, that changed the most from when you went into the studio to how it ended up mm. on CD. It's got to be one of the new ones because we never even had like that concept in the past. We're like, this is the song. Yeah, yeah we used to just go in with a complete song, but right. now we're now we're doing more creating in the studio. So okay. Um, actually, though, Gone really. We went into the studio with Gone. Yeah, and it was true. half written. We we finished writing it kind mm. of on the last day, and it yeah. was the last song. Last it day kept getting pushed to the back of the line. True. And uh, we there was like a basically a missing passing note that changed everything mm -hmm. um, mm. changed the whole kind of changed the whole feel of the song gone went from being a real underdog to being one of the strongest songs on how mm -hmm. i spent my summer vacation mm. so maybe gone mm -hmm. was a, like the biggest uh, yeah last minute kind of situation. most improved player award mm -hmm. was and what was the song on the new record that you guys were talking about that changed mm. ghosts on the boardwalk was one it was one that we just played at this acoustic session okay. now um we had the drums tracked, we had the bass line in there, and we were singing the verse. It was something that we had all kind of conglomerated, done with the melody and the lyrics, and I was singing it, and we were all equally like, what is wrong with this? It was like dragging along, and yeah. I was like trying to like give it more juice. Mm -hmm. yeah, it, was back, like the, it was the verse, being the quiet, melody. Being quiet, and we broke it all down, and yeah, it was like, it's so just the way melody. the phrasing is. Yeah, it, was like, it was just different. It was like, the difference was, the verse was sung like, you, s you say you're lonely. Pulled away by the tide and lost at sea. All your senses soaking so heavy that we can't, you can't breathe. It just like it, was it all didn't just fit. Like, like, it wasn't how, cool. It was not cool. Try to do it. It, and it cool. didn't fit. And then it turned into we we just spread it all out, and that all of a sudden it become became. It's like, ah. ah, you say you're lonely. Hmm. And we just, yeah, we just dragged, we stretched it out. Pulled away sand. by the tide and lost that sea. And that became way cooler, had more just, air. And okay. Stuff. Mm -hmm. And then what it's is the one song? I'm sorry, go on. You can, like, you, know, like, you can fight against something like so hard, you know, you're like, this is the way it is, this is the way it is. And then, like, yeah, in one again, second, like, you can change it, and everyone's like, that's the way they, it That's be. when you got to come back yeah. to that golden rule. Like, if you're trying to sell yourself or anyone else on something, it's probably not that good, you know? I found and, myself totally hating the song, yeah. and then in one little s flick of a switch of a change like that, it becomes something you really love, and it's that's an amazing experience to have. Mm. Yep, you've got to you can't give up on something like you can't ex you can't um, settle. And, and if someone's not that stoked on something, there's a reason for it. You and that's true. Exactly. It's going to happen out you there in the world. You have to listen to that. As much as you are bullheaded, you decide that you like something, like that is a huge, huge muscle to exercise as a creator yeah. and a collaborative creator. If you're going to just do it all on your own, that's cool, and have it, you be deciding every last element. But when you get into a group, you can really learn where you're at and your, your meter 
by deciding as a collective group what works. Yeah, mm -hmm. which has been very helpful for us. That's yeah. a filter that every song has had to pass through, mm -hmm. like a like um, a quality control. You know, mm -hmm. if somebody in the band doesn't like it, well, it's not gonna it's not gonna make it. You know.
Not dead. The movie. Um, did you guys see that? No. Punk's the, uh, uh, Susan Diner made it, mm-hmm. and uh, basically she. It's a highly recommended movie for anybody to go to uh, to rent. You can, I think you can get on Netflix now, and uh, and I'm pretty sure it's on iTunes. And um, uh, basically, one of the things she talks about is you know how punk keeps reinventing itself. And I think there was an interview, and I don't know if it was with Pete or with Brian. Um, but uh, you guys basically said, you know, you can't be Johnny Rotten forever. Like, punk has to consistently reinvent itself. Right. Like, yeah. what's its point? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they, they can kind of say that, you know, the Republicans are going through this right now. They're trying to, what's our point? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I know, I'm sure that you guys have got friends from the years, all of you guys do, um, from back in the day and stuff like that. And, and, and in the movie, there are segments in there where they interview some of the old school punks mm-hmm. from the 70s and early 80s. And some of these guys sound really bitter because mm, mm-hmm. they don't like what's happened. They, mm-hmm. they're, maybe their shot mm-hmm. never happened. Mm-hmm. It went away. They're, they're, they don't think that the kids uh, that are doing the hot topic thing and they're calling themselves punk sure. are punk and they don't know what sure. they're talking about. So I guess, you know, you guys, like I said before, are one of the few legacy bands that has done it. You've done it. You keep going. Everybody loves you guys. You guys consistently put out good records. So... Like, how did you not end up like that? Because that's the easy way to go. Yeah, well, rigid and bitter is a terrible, there's, there's no life in it. It's like a dead tree branch, you know? Yeah. And you have to, I think, that's a choice you make as an individual. Mm. Like, I would guarantee, like, all those people, I would suggest that they do, or for myself, what I do is, like, you look at the world around you and you see what kind of odds people go up against and how they choose to be in those situations. And there's a, you just walk out this door and you'll find an example of someone who has like a way worse situation and, and you see the kind of energy and personality they're bringing to the world. Well, you know, way worse than being like in a famous punk band in the 80s and then now nobody knows them. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's all I have to do for myself. Um, it's a completely new moment. I'm a completely new person. I can choose to be who I want to be regardless of what, I, what, I, what I've done in the past. Mm-hmm. And that's an individual choice. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's not easy to do either, especially when you get up around 40, 50, and you're totally broke, and you see what's around you, and you see like people making a ton of money off of something that you helped create. I'm not saying it's easy in any way whatsoever. And that's where we... You know, that's what life's about. Yeah, the job of, of inventing yourself and creating yourself never mm-hmm. ends. And, this, the, and learning, all, the job of learning never ends. And the second mm-hmm. you start thinking that you've achieved something, you're, you're at the same time, you're stopping learning, you know. And 
you start dying. Yeah, and it's happened to uh, all of us on various levels. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I think people spend like um, so much time just um, um, comparing themselves and like their success to other people mm. like all the time, and you just, it starts getting in your head, and you start to just explode. And you guys kind of got like to mind your own business and do your own thing and run yeah. your own race. The world's gonna go on. Be like, happy in your own skin. Yeah. yeah, it's not easy at all, but it's certainly be happy with your own tattoos. You know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you just gotta know that's that a great what, one. That's yeah. great. You just gotta know that what you've done is you, you got to be happy about it yourself. You know what I mean? Like to be bitter about something that isn't gonna ever happen or hasn't happened to you. Like that's a big waste of time. We could I mean? easily be that way too. Yeah, There's yeah. plenty of bands that opened up for us now, oh, and yeah. making way more money than us. And you know, <laughs> but why not enjoy that? I enjoy it. Yeah. You know. Totally. When Chris Cornell was here, I asked him. I'm like, Are you happy that? Are you relieved at all that you got into the business when you did compared mm-hmm. to bands that are getting into the business right now? And he said, oh, God, yes. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Do you guys feel the same way? Yes, or? Yep. absolutely. Yep. It, there's so many bands out there, and there's, it seems like there's not as mu- enough people to listen to them. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like everyone's in a band. When we came out, it was like you could keep track of all the bands that were coming out. Yep. Um, we spent a lot of time to how you can now. Yeah, we spent a lot of time um, building a lot of character. You know what I mean? Mm. Like just like eating shit all the time, and I, I don't think that that part of the experience is really there anymore. It's probably in a different way, you know, too, because there's so many bands. Yeah, it's not so. easy to like be. Yeah, if Lord knows, uh, as sure as we don't wish we were a brand new band right now in 2009, it's because I, I'm sure the game. Is just as hard or harder and in a different way. We are, we're known to tell you to give you advice on how to play the game today. In fact, we're we're looking for all the advice we can get, man. We, <laughs> tell us, right? give us some suggestions. Exactly. Yeah, we, yeah. we constantly need to keep learning here. Yeah. How does True. this internet thing work? What uh, guy? So then, Friendster? Then what, Friendster? No. What's this Friendster thing? What the hell? You guys Twitter. are still trying to figure out your AOL account. Twitter. Yeah, yeah, we gotta get a Twitter now or something. So, so you know, uh, this I is probably the it. this is probably the five dollar question you're getting asked a lot right now. And I'm sorry if I'm asking you it again, but it is it is relevant to this discussion. What was that defining moment to decide instead of re-signing to Epitaph, you decided to just go back and 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 really, in a way, majorly uh, r- go full time with with your own label? It was just we had gotten to a point with Epitaph where we just felt that it was like, all right, it's completely we've done everything we can with Epitaph. Mm. It was just a collective decision. There was no doubt about it at that point. It just mm. felt like it might it might just be. At best, it, it, I mean, it would be great, it would be, but it would be predictable. And yeah. predictable isn't something that we want to be. And that feels stagnant. And so it just felt like time to do something just for the sake of change, yeah. you know, for better or worse or, or, or neither. It's just, just yeah. reinvention. Just like to, you know? to do something totally like fucking different from what we've been doing for the past yeah. 15 years. Yeah. It's like, you know, like you record a record, put a record out, go on tour, record a record. You know, it's just like this ongoing and, and to Groundhog's take, Day until, that, until, you, yeah, until you're done. To take you know? that a little deeper, and I know this word gets crazy and everyone has their own definition, but to take it into that punk thing and to the original feeling of what that is, is that punk thing to me is when it's like this spontaneous energy that occurs. It has nothing to do with the style of music or the, what you're wearing, but when you stop the tracks and then spontaneously bring something to the page and this energy is created and then everyone's like dude that's rad yeah you know what i mean 
<laughs> so it doesn't matter. They don't, like it doesn't matter what it is. You gotta but, take risks, you know. You gotta you gotta get off the gerbil wheel and, and try to try, you know. It, it could be invent shit. Anything. You know? It doesn't matter. It's how you approach your life, and it, it, that energy is what creates that vibe, and it, you, it always will come back to you as long as you're generating that kind of spontaneity. And it's not easy at all because we're like habitual mutants. You know, human beings are habitual, mentally, physically, and we always like want to go into these slots and. It, Right. We, we technically, usually, that's how most people are. Amanda Palmer was uh, writing a song and she, you know, to beg her record company to drop her uh-huh. so she can do her own thing like you guys right. are doing. And, uh, and there is a lot of talk now that bands, um, the, the bands that have been around for a little while, that have been in the, in, who got into the industry at least within the past 10 years, um, are sitting there now having to go, you know, maybe the point isn't to be a huge rock star. And uh, the, a quote that I found was, perhaps these seeking sex, drugs, and rock and roll in that order are doomed to failure in the current landscape and better suited to chase other dreams. Instead, modern day success stories are more often fueled by tireless dedication and endless fan building. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, the idea is to, to getting into a philosophy of making a living instead of making it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. is there any part you of this that, that th- this this whole new scenario that's going around? Um, well, that 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 part came from Amanda Palmer. That the making yeah. it, uh, uh, making a living instead of um, making it, mm-hmm. um, where you're it's basically well just trying to keep from getting a day job. Yeah, exactly. You, Again, you, you said it. We, we're trying to avoid getting day jobs as long as possible. That's what we've been doing. We we want it, we want um, that that amount of security. Mm. And that's the fence you walk too, as an artist, because it's like, well, I want to create. Where's that line drawn? It's a weird line to draw. And it's definitely being a working artist or musician, finding that spontaneous moment where everyone's like, dude, that's rad. And then, you know, paying the bills to get you to the next gig is just a whole, you know, what a, what a bag of tricks, you know? Mm. Like, it's, yeah. a, it's incredible and it has to be looked at as like this fun, fun approach to it. Because when you start getting frustrated with it, you're, you're, you're sinking. So it's a, it's a delicate sorry, balance, you know, like yeah, the yeah, yeah. whole whole concept. So let so uh, last question here. Um, mm-hmm. you you guys are hands on in your day to day operations and what you guys do. You do a lot of things. You know, uh, you you don't um, step back and allow the manager to do everything. You guys do get involved. See, Kate handles a lot, but we are always involved in decisions. Yes. So. Um, what advice would you? We've been talking about advice for the new bands, but what about those bands that have been around a while that are not have been resistant um, to adapting to current things? Um, what would you say to them right now? You can't fight like um, technology and you know and the way things are going. Yeah, man, you gotta be like water. You you gotta find resist. a way to. You can't resist. You gotta find a way to like. You gotta flow. Um, get creative and and be a part of it in in your own way instead of being like oh, you know, like an old. Like we're talking about, like an old brittle guy, you know. Yeah, and and this isn't something like when you're in your twenties that I didn't had no concept of what the hell I'm talking about right now in my twenties, and I wouldn't expect someone really to understand it because you got to walk through it, mm-hmm. and that's just go for it, you know, and do everything wrong. And there's know? a damn lot we still don't understand. For Lord knows, we only know a few things, and it's mostly just the things we've experienced. The only things we can speak with any authority on. Yeah, it sounds like you know after everything you guys have been through, you almost broke up at one point uh, down in Australia. Um, you know, you've gone through drug issues, you've, uh, you know, marriages uh, collapsed, everything under the sun, you know, new members, except so forth. Um, and now it seems like you guys are at the place of, of most. Um, you seem to be most comfortable right now. So I guess the last, real last question is: Is have you guys found your planet is? 
Well, it's always, uh, I think it's, the plan it is, is, is understanding and accepting the constant changing of everything. And that's not yeah, something... Yeah, so it's, not, it's, it's a moment. Planet is seems like it can only be a moment anyway. And we have moments to answer exactly. your question. We have, mm. we have moments of planet is. Yeah, and that's what it is, because um, each moment, accepting for what it is and then doing what you can with it when before you the can. Next, before the next problem and then, arises. And then you do the best you can in it, and then you're in the next one. And that's it. And yeah. that's, we're cool with that. We can be cool with that. Yep. Then we're doing all right. Every now and then we're like, you know, like all the stars are like aligned and you have like, <laughs> right. that show is like that show that's totally fucking perfect you know and everyone's totally happy and you're in like that mode oh, and, like, and then, then somebody hands you this like world, huge man. paycheck yeah oh, no, yeah. I, I ain't going that far and then you wake <laughs> up <laughs> talking about like oh okay oh, it, it wasn't that good okay <laughs> nah. then you wake up <laughs> you just gotta remember no, there, like, there, are, there are moments though you have like that good show where like everyone's having fun and, and like um everyone's just you know um it's like smiling and having a good time and like yeah. that's what it's all what's about wrong? And, and nothing the hell's yeah. wrong with yeah. this moment and it's important to notice those when they happen and, yeah. and celebrate them exactly know, it's so, by. so if there's somebody out there right now and they're wondering like should I go down and tell my parents I don't want to go to college and I want to go out and be on the road what would you you say yes or no you got to follow your heart man. Yeah, you, you got to really follow do. your heart it's true you, you know you're, you're, it's better to regret something you have done than to regret something you haven't I didn't make that quote up but I live by it for the most part completely that's completely yep. yeah I mean, when you get to, like, where we are, you, you got to remember what you did it for to begin with. Like, when you were in your dad's car and that song came on the radio and that whatever, whatever, like, the music sparked you. And you got to remember that when you're, like, it's not, you know, when it's not the greatest thing, you're not in a mansion, you're not rolling up in a, in a Land Rover like Gene Simmons. Like, you have to be comfortable in your own skin. You got to remember why you started to do it in the first place. Yeah. The love of the music. Mm-hmm. And, and even when you are out and things aren't going right amongst your bandmates, you have to remember that, like, why there are the four of you or the five of you to begin with, you know what I mean? Like, and find the good in that mm-hmm. and not just, you yeah. know. It's important yeah. to remember that. Glass is half full. It's not half empty. You there know? you go. That's right. Guys, I wish you the best of luck. It's, it, I, I, Thanks, this 20th anniversary idea with releasing four EPs throughout the year, essentially, a song once the first of every month, yep. and, and then four seven-inches uh, seven throughout the year is fantastic. Um, and it, it's, uh, you guys are obviously on top of your game, and, and uh, you know, 20 more. Great years. Thanks a lot. Thanks Thanks so you guys are probably going to outlive Warp Tour. So. Yeah. so I don't know what you're going to do during the summer. With the cockroaches. Us, and, us and the roaches, man. <laughs> yeah, right. That's how it is. It's from Jersey. Just us that's how we do. Roaches. That's right. It's a Jersey thing. The cockroaches of punk rock. Thank you. All right. Thanks, All right. everybody. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thanks. Remember when your friends told you about Envy on the Coast? How about Never Shout Never? Check. Check one, two. Alright, here goes nothing. Your timing's everything. Stop telling me you're taking your time. Or you're anxious, but you're running your mouth like you're five years old again. Or there for tomorrow. Your initial reply hit me undercover when I lost my head to it. It was out of its time, it was undiscovered as I caught my breath again. You were running out of...
these artists and more started off as unsigned bands, spotlighted in our monthly APNR section. Do you want to be the first to know about the newest, coolest bands before they're signed? Then check out the brand new APNR podcast. Hosted by web editor Tim Karen, the APNR podcast features over 45 minutes of music from unsigned bands all over the world, as well as plenty of insight as to what they're all about. Download an episode now at altpress.com slash podcast or subscribe through iTunes so you can start telling your friends about the next big thing before they beat you to it. Remember when times were better, when times were better than this. We never had to remember when times were better. AP Podcasts are recorded at Lava Room Recording Studio in Cleveland, Ohio, a New York City quality studio at Cleveland Prices. Check out www.lavaroomrecording.com. For more information on Alternative Press Magazine, go to www.altpress.com. The podcast engineer is John Walsh. Post-production assistance from Rob Bertenzi. I'm Mike Shea, and this is all my fault. You can reach me directly at www.myspace.com slash Mike Shea AP. That's S-H-E-A like the stadium, AP. 